0: everybody and welcome back to a catholic's perspective the podcast all about being a young catholic surviving in a secular world i have a very special guest with us today we have trent horn you guys might know him because he's an apologist for catholic answers but he also has his own podcast called the council of trent and he has done debating in uc berkeley uc santa uh, Santa barbara and stanford university and is also the author of nine books so very happy to have you here today trent Thank you so much for being here
1: thank you for having me i think my greatest accomplishment is i'm married to the host of too far with laura horn yes so uh that that would be and i do make occasional cameo appearances and technical setup for for that youtube channel uh i've i've noticed you've made a few comments here and there i'm glad you've received it well also
0: Oh, yes. I whenever I'm on Laura's thing for whatever, whether it was like the modesty discourse, I'm like, this is the content I live for. I wish more people <laughs> did stuff like this because I, I just think we take ourselves too seriously these days. And oh yeah, I mean, Laura being able to bring the type of humor she does and be unapologetically herself is just it's so it's so fun.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of material. There's always a ton of material for Laura to draw from when she's on social media. And she's not on social media a lot. And I think that makes it work. Like she doesn't have a big, she doesn't have a Twitter profile or she has something so that she can see things on Twitter, but she's not on Twitter. She's not on Facebook. She barely just started an Instagram, but she doesn't, she likes just observing everybody else kind of getting a bit out of hand and uh, poking fun at all that.
0: Honestly, that's what we need because without that, I feel like the whole, the whole Catholic online world is kind of like doom and gloom, which is a little bit like kind of what our topic is today about like celebrities, you know, Catholic celebrities, convert celebrities. Yeah. And, you know, just being on social media as a whole can really kind of impact your faith life in a really negative way. I know for myself, having to go through and seeing all the Negativity on Twitter, especially. Um, (laughs) You know who I'm talking about, all the people. And it's just, it's crazy how people allow like a small comment to just like ruin their day or they take so many things out of context and they have to have their own spin on stuff. And I do feel like to an extent there's that danger for us as like content creators, as Catholic content creators, that we push the doom and gloom because we know it's what gets us views.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a danger if you're really trying to create, uh, like you said, just content and followers, and you're focusing not so much on edifying and building people up, but you're thinking, oh, what are people talking about? And what could I say that gets a lot of attention? And honestly, a lot of people will calculate, well, if I say something really extreme, even if it gives me a lot of negative attention, it also will get me a lot of positive attention. So it's all worthwhile. I think you notice that the people who are the most moderate and reasonable and try to have the most balanced takes, they're just not as popular as the people that have the most forceful takes because people like that kind of a rush, either a rush of agreement or a rush of disagreement. And I do think, yeah, it, it creates this kind of bad environment. I don't if you look at my social media, for example, I don't do a lot of posting there anymore either. I do a little bit of it. I mostly use it to reach out to people. Things like that, but it's it's just gotten a lot worse.
0: Yeah, especially. I mean, I know I mainly followed you on uh, YouTube and Twitter, and like I watch your videos and everything. And Twitter, though, I mean, there was so much stuff going on where it's like, should we speak out about this? Because technically, like this person, you know, is saying stuff that might lead other people astray, and uh, so you also have to find you, like that you could balance.
1: Get, you could get lost forever trying to correct everybody on the internet. It is. Because then when you correct that person, you've got to correct other people. i mean, I think there's a place for that, for people to do that. Honestly, that might be the place. I don't know. It's so hard. It's just so easy to lose your soul on the internet. You become angry, uncharitable, dishonest, mean. You just get so fixated on things. And also, you just can't, you just can't let things go either. I mean, I still get in little debates with people here and there. But overall, I find it to not be to not be very fruitful. I'd rather find something that's going on on Twitter and I'll just talk about it as an episode of my podcast for a larger perspective on whatever the issue is. Or I might restrict myself if someone's wrong just to post under that's actually incorrect. Here is the correct answer. And then just let it go after that. And then I'm done.
0: I think that's so important too, is like setting those boundaries and those limits for ourselves, and not like getting sucked into the vortex of, you know, online internet fights. Because that's something that happens daily on Twitter. Honestly, it happens probably a hundred times a day on Twitter. I don't know. But you've done debates. Like debating is something that you're very good at. But the thing is on Twitter, because of the limited amount of characters, there are a lot of things that get lost in the context and like the punctuation and just the feel of a tweet where people just tweet and it's like, uh, Mary is sinless and that's it, you know, or something. And it's like, okay, that's great, but clearly like, you know, and that's true, but like there also needs to be more context behind that for some people who don't right. understand because then you're going to create controversy. And my spiritual director specifically told me, he's like, never post to create controversy. Even if it's subconscious, think before you tweet or think before you post. And well, go ahead.
1: I, I was going to say, <clears throat> I think that there one of the difficulties we have on social media is we'll post something, but we won't think, how is that going to sound to other people. Mm -hmm. Or we will think, oh, this will offend Protestants or it will offend atheists, but I don't care because I'm right. And so I'm just going to put that out there instead of presenting in a way that's measured that anyone can appreciate if they give it a fair reading. So I think you're right that there are certain things that you could say just to quote unquote own another person, uh, to say something in a very provocative way. And sometimes there are times To do that, like to test whether Twitter is actually censoring people, you know, things like that. But I I think I find it difficult when people will post without thinking about how it's received from other people, either that it's very provocative, or that it's just flat out wrong. It's -hmm. just incorrect. I'll give you a classic example: when Protestants, or sorry, when Catholics say, "Why would I be Protestant when Protestants have thirty thousand denominations?" And I don't even know how to you know you have so much disunity. that number is actually not true. It comes from a a source that categorizes things very poorly. That same source said that there are like two hundred denominations in Catholicism so mm. yeah, yeah <laughs> so i I didn't know if you knew that this 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 figure go it, it's out there all the time yeah you know, the thirty three thousand thirty three thousand denominations of Protestantism. It's not true. I mean, rather, I say something like, "Hey, how many churches did Jesus want us to have? Probably not more than one." Protestantism seems to have a lot more than that. So you'll notice that that is a very measured claim. It's it's mo- it's a modest. Well, you you can appreciate this. You're always talking about modesty. Maybe I yeah. maybe I have my own my min- have my own ministry. I do uh, apologetic modesty. You've got some of these apologists that they let everything hang out there, and it's scandalous. Uh, some is. of these misleading claims or arguments that are poorly sourced or citations that are not true. And I'm saying we we should really be modest in the claims we're making. That's going to get you a lot further in a dialogue with someone than a very provocative argument, especially one that you can't support. So look at me. I guess I, I maybe I should start my own little modesty Twitter. That's what I should do
0: just have modesty with Trent Horn.
1: <laughs> I will. It's I, I, theological and apologetic modesty, but that, and different people have different approaches, but that is the approach that I've tried to take. I, I mean, I'll give you, it's funny. I had a problem, not a problem. I remember back on Reformation day, which is, mm-hmm. I always think it's funny. You mean, I'm like, you mean Halloween? Oh yeah. <laughs> Reformation so day, October 31st, our Protestant friends, like, come on, man, it's Halloween. You're not fooling anybody. But, um, I remember I, I saw a Catholic YouTuber who sure you know, remained nameless, who was doing a video on here's what's wrong with Martin Luther. Here's what's so bad about Martin Luther. And he was quoting from a web page written by a Jesuit, I think like in the 30s. Mm. And the research on that particular web page is really, I know that page, it's really, really bad. The article's bad. Other Protestants and Lutherans have rebutted it. And it's just not good. And hey, and he just used it because he thought, hey, there's footnotes here. This guy seems pretty well sourced. No, you've already started off on the wrong foot. Now, yeah, your presentation is going to impress Catholics who don't know any better. But it's right. going to turn off a Protestant who does know, hey, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm. And so, and then I just debated, should I correct this person on this? I've corrected this individual before on other things. And I felt like, ah, I just don't want to get in another Twitter fight. No, just not another one. So maybe when Reformation Day comes around again next year, I'll make an episode. The things Catholics get wrong about Martin Luther or
0: that would and, be a good yeah, idea. It,
1: yeah, but it's it's hard. What's hard about it is that we all have this nasty habit of confirmation bias. So we hear something and when we agree with it, we're like, yeah, that's awesome. And we don't mm-hmm. question it. And when we hear something we disagree with, we ignore it or we question it as much as possible instead of just fairly looking at the evidence. And so it's just something we all have to kind of get over.
0: Yeah. No, I think that there's a real danger there, too, because if we're, like you said, confirmation biased, then we're leading people astray. Yeah. And that's something that as Catholics, we're not supposed to be doing, which is why it's so important that we know our faith and we don't just know our faith, but we know the other faiths too. A lot of people have argued about me on this and I'm like, I don't think it's wrong to learn about Hinduism, not practicing it or anything or Hinduism. Are there there
1: people who say it's wrong to even learn about it?
0: Yes. Yes. (sighs) People have told me they're just like, why are you learning about this or that? It's like,
1: well, what what uh, is, but this is good that you're out there. And I think, It's hard, especially on Catholic social media. The hardest part on Catholic social media is I feel like you have traditionalists who think, some traditionalists who think everybody's going to hell and some liberals who think everybody's going to heaven. So it just doesn't really matter what we talk about. or You'll just nitpick about these things and major in the minors. So like even that example, wouldn't it be most impressive, like you meet a Hindu and to be able... To speak to them and say, "Yeah, I've, I've, I'm familiar with the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, I'm familiar with these the the, the elements of uh, Hinduism, and I've done this with other faiths. When I've, t- I I do think that there's a problem, especially within, um, yeah, within the the online Catholic liberals and the Catholic traditionalists. The liberals think everyone's going to heaven, so you don't have to witness to the non-Catholics. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like some of these, not all, but some traditionalists think like, oh, they're all going to hell anyways." Deus volt. Here's the gospel. Take it or leave it. You didn't leave it. You left it. We're going to hell. What do you expect? And then instead of the sense of, oh no, you can actually now. I understand some of their criticism. That some of them get really mad at me. Like I say, we should dialogue, and they roll their eyes like, ah, dialogue, (laughs) novisordo. Ah, that's modernist. I agree. If it's the kind of dialogue that sometimes the Vatican hosts, where people sit around and they only talk about what they agree about, like that's not helpful. That's bad. But when I have dialogues, like I've had dialogues with Alex O'Connor, with Brandon Robertson, with I've had dialogues with Gavin Ortland, I've had dialogues with people who are not Catholic where I challenge them on where we, I, uh, here's where we agree, this is great, and I challenge them on where we disagree. But the only way I can have a good dialogue with someone, if I'm just totally ignorant of what they believe, they're, they're not going to, it's the same thing you and I, if we talk to a Protestant Who said, "Oh, well, as a Catholic, you know, you worship Mary. So, Mm -hmm. do you think that that's okay? You don't, you don't know the first thing." Or a Catholic, or someone says this, "Oh, well, as a Catholic, you think you need an indulgence to go to heaven?"
0: Yeah, yeah. See, that
1: that shows me right there, like that person has no hope of wooing you to Protestantism because you'll say, "You don't even know Catholicism. You don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, and the same thing happens. If you try to engage a non-Catholic, if you don't understand what they believe, they're not going to take you. So yeah, that does make me really roll my eyes that someone will get mad at you. Now, I understand if someone is in a spiritually bad place, maybe they shouldn't be reading up on other religions if they're tempted to leave Catholicism. I understand yeah. that. But if it's just, I am trying to learn about the world to spread the gospel, I, I find that quite silly to condemn that
0: well it is and you know when it comes down to it i see like i think back to you know the jesuits back in the day where they would literally go to native american tribes and learn the language learn the culture immerse themselves in the culture and then weed out all the paganism and convert them and start you know working their way into baptizing these people like that's how it's supposed to be done not that you conform to their culture and you conform to like their sins and their paganism, you keep the Catholicism, but you teach them another way by learning and gaining that trust.
1: There's also, I think a difficulty sometimes with uh, Catholics is that they will consider certain cultural elements to be essential to Catholicism. Hmm. Uh, so for example, even when we have debates about the liturgy, right? in the traditional Latin mass, then uh, yeah. some people might think that, using an uh, for for liturgy using the organ or singing in polyphony you know multiple notes is uh, that is what the liturgy ought to be but 1500 years ago when the organ was introduced in church history it was very controversial the organ was an instrument previously that had been known for being used in things like roman orgies like the organ, it was, well, yeah, think about what, the, what we're borrowing from. We're taking things from, you know, Roman culture, oh, right? right? The, the like, the, I often, I don't exclusively attend anymore, but I've often attended the Byzantine, the Eastern liturgy, the Byzantine Catholic Church. And I find that that liturgy is even more ancient because it's only sung using acapella. There are no instruments. The first liturgical uh music it did not have instruments adding things like the organ it was essentially an instrument of the time the same way if you use more intricate musical compositions like polyphony instead of monophony Uh, but now it's you know 2000 years later we think oh organ is the most traditional thing when there was a time when oh that's what's very very controversial and so we become a bit ignorant of history and so by that same token incorporating elements within the faith we should be more open to that now of course there is another extreme where it becomes banal it becomes you're trying to ape the culture and you've got these churches that were designed in the 70s that are just awful like yeah. that's the other extreme where you're conformed I, I mean if i was it's so funny i always think like oh if i was if i was the pope or a bishop or if i if i had real authority what like if you'll ask me what kind of mode appropriate would you do I wish that every, I wish that like, there was a law, like every Catholic church that was built now, it's architectural plans had to be, the architectural style had to be before like 1910.
0: Yes. Like it
1: it should not, like, that's what, that's what attracts people. Like if you, if you build a church in the seventies with seventies style, it's always going to look seventies. But if you build it with like the style of the 1700s, like if you just walk down the street. And you saw just a Catholic parish, but it looked like a little mini Gothic cathedral. Like non-Catholics would just go there and take pictures. Yes. And Evangelizing. Just, exactly. Like, whoa, this is really interesting, or or whatever. Or it looks exactly like a Spanish mission from you know the the, the 18th century in in California or whatever it might be. So yeah, I, I wish that we um, I wish I wish that we had more more things for example like in san diego because catholic answers is there and i travel out there you know often there is a mormon temple there that looks like like a disneyland castle i don't know if you've ever been to san diego
0: no i haven't but i mean if i do i'll look for it (laughs) well you can
1: just look up san diego mormon temple if you look it up online it's just like wow it looks like like a disney castle and it's just you're awestruck by it so yeah so to, to parse what i was saying before you don't want to turn false elements. What was just considered traditional now was at one point often controversial and new. So you should be open to that, which is controversial and new. But at the same time, not every new thing is a good thing. So there's a balance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've talked about this multiple times about how I don't like ugly churches. And every single time I get dragged through the mud for it saying, you can't say that about God's house. I'm like, God deserves a better house. I mean, come on. Like, this is the king of kings, the lords of lords. And if we truly believe that, why are we putting him in a 70s office building? Like, the office could be filmed in most of these churches, and I wouldn't know the difference. Actually, there was one church. It just popped up on Instagram. I think it was yesterday. I don't know if it was in San Diego, but probably. There was a beautiful, beautiful church, beautiful cathedral. And it was sold in, like, 2003 to San Diego. And they gutted the whole thing and turned it into a wedding venue, hmm. so that the church could build another cathedral uh, further down the street. And I'm like, why not keep both? I mean, right. I understand money's tight and everything like that, but I mean, I go to St. John Cantius. I'm sure you're <laughs> familiar with that, right?
1: I I, th- I think so. It's yeah.
0: it's ranked one of the most like beautiful churches in the nation. And sounds it's... familiar. I'll just bring it up. Let's see. Yeah, that works. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Um. And so St. John's oh,
1: in in Chicago.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, it's yeah. gorgeous. And I'll you post got those va-
1: vaulted people. ceilings, wooden mm-hmm. pews. It's hard for me the wooden pews though. That's very Protestant. I don't like that liberal stuff.
0: <laughs> you want to stand twenty four seven? I
1: I I no. Now, by the way, it's so funny. People, well, you get this too, probably. Oh yeah. People, they think they know you or I like. Oh, they do this. They do that. Uh, no, I might have said one thing a few years ago, and you're just running with it. Sometimes life changes. Like mm-hmm. People think, for example, that I exclusively attend the Byzantine Catholic Church, the Eastern Byzantine Liturgy, and I did for a while, but now our family life plans have changed, and now we almost exclusively attend a Novus Ordo. It's a beautiful Novus Ordo uh, liturgy that I enjoy, uh, and I do go to Byzantine every now and then because I also really do enjoy that. But uh, so people think like, oh, he tells you like I'm Catholic. He won't even attend the Novus Ordo. That's not true, actually. I've never said that, but mm-hmm. you can go ahead and run with it. And but, that's but,
0: exactly what happens for me as well, yeah. where I tell them like, oh, I go to the traditional Latin mass and that's my preferred mass. And they're like, oh, so you hate the Novus Ordo. I'm like, no. <laughs> Right. Where did I say that?
1: (laughs) Right, just because I have a preference. I still prefer the Byzantine liturgy, but our life plans, it just makes more sense for the Novus Ordo nearby us. And I like it. And I even like Novus Ordo. I even like the Novus Ordo parishes that people would cringe at. But I I sometimes enjoy the homey familiarity of that which is cringe. And I find a particular kind of beauty in it. I know there are downsides to it, but it's kind of like like when I watch old sitcoms from the nineties that are cringy, they still have yeah. a warmth. they have a warmth and familiarity that I enjoy. So there there's, and just seeing like the community that they just, they love it. And they're just their little choir that's doing their best and shaking the orange with the rice in it. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you're going for it. So I was saying the pews though, people, some of you don't know this pews were really invented as part of the Protestant reformation to accommodate sitting for two hours, listening to a sermon. Most Christian churches throughout church history, the posture was standing it was not sitting actually that's something but there's nothing bad about it if you have that posture and you adopt it and you have pews you can worship god in a lot of different ways so just chill out everybody
0: it's crazy too because with things like that um i've had a lot of people email me and at least 10 people email me in saying oh my mom prays the rosary during like the latin mass or this person prays the rosary during the mass like is that technically like licit like can they do that that's not really participating and i'm like whoa Like the low mass came when we were under, when we had to do underground masses, you know? And so the low mass was, you know, celebrated in barns, in houses, in basements. And so praying the rosary might've been the only way they could have participated, not saying they were alive all the way, you know, hundred, about almost a hundred years ago. Wow. But it's like, you know, it, it was a way to still celebrate mass without being found out. And, Sometimes that's how people can participate because that's the only way they've learned. And yeah, you know, it'd be nice if they could get a missile or something, but they're still participating in their own way. It's not illicit. Like, leave them alone. Like, focus on your own relationship and your own focus on God. Because if you're getting distracted by other people in mass, you know, you really need to to focus in on your own relationship because I used to have that issue. People would walk in in shorts and t-shirts and tank tops and short shorts and all this stuff and I'd be like, oh my gosh do they know where they are? Do they know who they're in front of? And then I'd think yeah. about it. I'd be like, you know what? Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they don't know better. Maybe something, maybe this, but I'm glad they're here. So I'd pray to God. I'd be like, God, I don't know what this person needs, but you do. And then I'd leave it at that, focus yeah. on God. Um, but so many times I've I've had people just become distracted and almost hateful towards other people in mass um, for having different preferences or certain things or you know, not doing the things that they do. Um, and unfortunately, this usually does fall under the traditional people, uh, though I have been told by a few Novus Ordo people to not wear my veil and things like that. But yeah.
1: I think know. people have to learn to be able to take take more things in stride so mm-hmm. that you have the energy levels to deal with something that is egregious, that is sinful, or someone is attempting to disrupt mass or save your energy for the, the, the fights that are there. And so that you can, you know, if you have an opportunity to talk with this person about something that's pressing, you've put yourself in a good position to do that. But it's whether it's online or in church, I do think people can take things a little more stride and to try to and in- give people more the benefit of the doubt and try to be charitable in your interpretations of others.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel like though, to an extent, when I see people do that, it's almost like it's a learned behavior from their favorite. Catholic celebrities, you know, um, personalities who always are nitpicking other people are always like bashing the Pope or yeah. bashing the cardinals and things. And because of all this negativity, it feeds into their life, and so they start thinking negatively about other people instead of charitably. And you can see the fruit of that. Yeah. Um, There's certain people who I know watch certain people, and they all have the same outlook where it's very negative and. Judgmental almost, and then I have other people who watch this other group of content creators, and they're very nice and charitable. It's crazy how that works.
1: Yeah, I do think it's hard. Once again, it's all about finding a balance. Uh, that there is the extreme of what we're talking about nitpicking and making things obligatory where we should have freedom, and just uh, you know, and this is the complaint that Jesus had about the pharisees that they'll um they'll strain a gnat but swallow a camel they'll they'll do Mm -hmm. everything they'll go through all this work to not eat a, a tiny unclean animal like a gnat but then they'll eat a giant unclean animal the camel i mean not literally but they'll they'll work hard and i i'm gonna be honest with you i have known people yeah i i mean i've I am familiar. Well, I mean, honestly, we've seen uh, scandals that are there are. Yeah, we we can. I, mean, I can say this now. It's always hard to think what is detraction, what is calumny. What I know it's hard, <laughs> but uh, to be frank, uh, to talk about what was going on with Church Militant, that's that's become a public issue um, involving morality issues with Michael Voris. Mm. But there's others. I, I have seen this of a, a an individual. It's not unheard of. For an individual to become obsessed with critiquing uh, even the appearances of evil, or you know, being overly harsh and critiquing the minor sins of others, when that person doesn't they're, in their own life, they are committing major sins. And it does boggle my mind that there are people who will be so obsessed with the minor sins of others that they cannot it's that i mean that is why once again G- jesus gets it right right why do you pick the splinter out of your brother's eye when you have the log in your own lot in your own eye now his solution was not just to stop judging people and not care it was to take the log out of your own eye and then you can address the splinter uh you know jesus never said that we couldn't we can't judge the the souls of other people we don't we can't see that but we can judge other actions and proportionately say This is scandalous. This is a gray area. Uh, I I do think there's also a concern that sometimes, and I understand how this is abused. I think the, um, the traditionalist extremes often are the result from more liberal extremes in the church. So a liberal extreme Mm -hmm. is use your conscience, let your conscience tell you what's best to do, but then people will abuse that to engage in things that are objectively evil. So the, the, The extreme corrective approach is, no, don't follow your conscience. Father so-and-so said this is wrong. Father so-and-so said this particular situation is evil. You can't do that. Well, maybe the church doesn't have a teaching on that. It is up to us. So that's where I think the difficulties can arise.
0: I definitely see that a lot with certain especially in the traditional mindset, because I'm in the traditional world quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I see it a lot with exorcists, like not one specific one, but a lot of them all together, where people latch on to every single word they say. Yeah. And not to say that they're wrong or that they shouldn't be listened to, but you know, we still have to listen to church authority on a lot of stuff and say, yeah. okay, yeah, this is what this priest says or this authority figure, this celebrity says, but what does the church say? What that's does right. Jesus say?
1: Yeah, and that's what I'm always trying to bring people back to. And I've tried hard to. I mean, I, I mean, I stumble at this. Everybody stumbles, but I try hard to distinguish between my opinions about matters and what the church teaches about things. And I, and I have noticed. And, and to be honest with you, it's funny. I, it's funny. I feel like I'm just kind of cutting loose of my my opinions here. Whereas on my podcast, it's very. Here's the argument, the counter argument, because on my podcast, I'm trying really hard. I just want to build people up. I want to help people become Catholic, you know, refute false worldviews. I I don't really care about spreading my opinions or commenting about things. I feel like the Catholic commentariat, it's kind of a wing of online Catholicism that I think can breed a lot of uh, more problems. It creates more heat than light. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. so when I'm trying to engage, I try to really separate, look, well, what does the church teach? And there are many, so the dangers here, it is interesting. We can find that the, the middle line on the liberal side, it will be, oh yeah, you can do this. It's ignoring. No, you can't. The church has a teaching that this is wrong. You can't do that. Hmm. Whereas on the concert, the more traditionalist side, the extreme can be, you can't do that even though the church doesn't have a teaching on it. I or father so-and-so, exorcist so-and-so, uh, this church father or this saint said that it's wrong. Uh, for example, people often do this with St. Alphonsus Ligori and sexual ethics, marital sexual ethics. They'll say, oh, well, St. Alphonsus Ligori said married couples can't do this, therefore mm-hmm. it's wrong. Well, that's his, his opinion. It doesn't mean we are bound to follow it. And they'll say, "Yeah, but the church said that Saint Alphonse's opinions are morally safe to follow, right?" What that means is, if he thought this act between married couples was wrong, you're not sinning by it, by following him and not engaging in that act, but you're also not sinning by disagreeing with him because this is a subject the church has not given a teaching on. Uh, that a lot of people they'll they'll take the magisterium, which is the successors of the apostles, what the bishops formally teach, and they'll say, well, no, the church's teaching is really in what I think the bishops say, or what I think the church fathers have said, or what this Catholic YouTuber says. And that's where I think it's really dangerous that they create their own magisterium in that regard.
0: I agree. I think also a lot of people, they confuse dogma with opinion. Yeah. Um, I think (laughs) a lot of people, you know, the whole like, uh, the Pope's infallible, people constantly misinterpret what that means. Um and right. so they think that like oh well this is a dogma taught by the church and it's like no just an opinion. Um well papal, are-
1: papal infallibility is a dogma but hardly yes. almost never is what the pope says a dogma. That's exactly. only when the pope is defining it ex cathedra. So papal infallibility is a dogma but what the pope says you're correct there is a range of authority between and honestly, there is a range that we have to give different levels of adherence to, uh, like when the Pope teaches in an encyclical, uh, when he's making an act to formally teach, that requires like the religious submission of mind and will, when it's on a matter of faith and morals. Sometimes the Pope might say something, "Hey, here's a concern I have about climate change and what other countries should do." Well, that's a prudential judgment. So we should give it give the Pope's opinion respect, but we don't have to give it the same level of assent that we would give like a teaching, on faith and morals in an encyclical, so I think that people have to understand. You're right; it's it's about these nuances of teachings and their impacts on us. When you oversimplify it, usually you end up getting it wrong.
0: Yeah, and that's so difficult, especially when a lot of people have a lot of followers and a lot of um, people who literally rely on them for anything and everything, and they become that person's sole source yeah. of news or opinions and you know we have to understand that people aren't you know we're fallible like we we make mistakes yeah. we get things wrong all the time and like you yeah. were saying earlier yeah. you know just because i believed something a year ago does not mean that is rings true today still right. you know we grow we learn and uh, you know as we do that it's okay to look back and say like, oh, I I don't do that anymore. But you'll be like scrutinized for that on social media. If you're a content creator, they're like, oh, well, then you lied to me. And it's crazy.
1: Yeah. And I have, uh, there's issues where I've, you know, developed in my understanding of arguments and what arguments I would deploy or not deploy. I've learned things the hard way of evidences that don't work or are faulty. Uh, And I've had opinions that have, changed on issues where i might have been in favor of one prudential approach but now i'm not in favor of that. Yeah, you need to give people uh elasticity to be able to to develop in their views and their understandings and just charity with one another as we try to confront what's going on. I do think with the whole thing that people cling to content creators now. Part of that is though i feel like the bishops kind of did this to themselves sometimes by yeah. ineptitude by failing to teach uh defi- you know failing to teach clearly on particular issues or to uphold that teaching in action then maybe a bishop does teach that homosexuality is wrong but the bishop hires people to be principals in catholic schools that are obviously in a same sex relationship and you know they've just we all know it but we're not going to say anything well how is that teaching if you're you know hiring people and you're giving the wink wink about what they're doing or, you know, or, or you know, you, you're doing a, a fund, you're, te- you're telling people to be pro-life, but you do a fund for the diocese and the fund ends up donating to a company that also provides for abortions indirectly. So I think that some people, they, they throw up their hands and think, fine, I don't even trust the bishops. I trust this guy on, on YouTube. Uh, he's, a, he's a good Catholic. He sounds great. But the danger, once again, yeah, the bishops aren't perfect, but nobody's perfect. But they are the ones that Christ gave us to be the the teaching office of the church and if you say i don't need them i have scripture and i have tradition and i have all these documents you are two steps away from becoming protestant you really mm-hmm. are because a lot of people and, and i'm actually working on a book on this right now called protestantism the working title is protestantism at the bar of history
0: is that the one that's coming out next year
1: no, that, that one is uh, against liberal Catholicism.
0: Ah, excited <laughs> so that, for that, that one.
1: <laughs> that that time, Oh, yeah, yeah, that'll be a hoot. Trent this will be one,
0: back on the show for that one. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, but what people, some Pro, some Catholics think, oh, Protestants just thought, I don't want to have to listen to the church anymore, so I just want the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. Here's what I think the Bible means, and I'm mm. going to go and do my own thing. And that is a caricature of the protestant reformation that the reformers when you read luther and calvin especially calvin they cited the church fathers a lot they and they said we are restoring the apostolic church that you all have corrupted into the middle ages we don't trust the bishops and their corruption involving indulge indulgences and uh the financial scandals of indulgences or the scandals of priests who are married or have concubines wow. or openly sodomites in the priesthood, Saint, Saint Peter Damien had to deal with this back in the, you know during the age of the counter reformation. That the same the exact same problem, sodomy in the priesthood. Uh, and you so the problem is saying, Look, this is corrupt, the church has become corrupt. I don't trust the bishops, I trust the Bible and the fathers, and I can read the fathers, and I know that they support me, not what Rome has become in the 16th century. So it's not that, the, that Protestant reformers just, oh, me and the Bible, and that's all. Because some Catholics think, if I, I can be Catholic if I just have the Bible and I have the tradition and I can ignore the bishops. Saying I have the Bible and the tradition and ignore the bishops, that's what Protestants did in the 16th century. That's absolutely that's what they crazy. did. And so you're, you're not that far away from, from doing that. Uh, the same thing happens when people say, oh, Francis isn't the Pope. Why do you think that? Because he's a heretic. Why do you think he's a heretic? Look at these scandalous things he did. The problem is there's no stopping point there, that if that's how you're going to judge, say, the Pope's a heretic because he did something that scandalizes me, well, that's also going to apply to John Paul II Benedict. Mm-hmm. Every other pope has done something scandalous in their pontificate, except for John Paul I. I mean, it's a scandal that he died like eight days later or what. <laughs> um, but you go through, you're going to, you it won't just stop at Francis. You, you, you'll turn into quickly, you can become a, a 1958 set of a contest. Or if you say, oh, they weren't really a pope, They they, they weren't pope because they committed this heresy. What about the accusations of heresy that Protestants make Against popes, other popes in church history. If you've mm. lowered the bar and you say, Oh, Francis did this thing that's you know so ambiguous, he's not the Pope, you're you're gonna start Xing out popes all throughout her church history. You're gonna undermine everything. So I'm sorry for the long windbaggy answer. No. But it's that's so that's my concern.
0: And I definitely think we're seeing like history repeat itself, right? I mean, that's something that we see time and time again. The church goes through a difficult time, people leave the church, and you know, when it comes to that, I mean, I think of JP too, who is so beloved by so many poles like myself, and you know, but he did the Pachamama scandal, and there were a no, lot you,
1: of oh, oh. That, I think, do you, are do you talking? That? About, are you talking about the statue? Are you talking about the? St- I think I remember that, or is that I was yeah with the 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 the, the Assisi meeting was the big scandal. Oh, that
0: too. No, it was like this. Oh, pagan I remember. Idol. And then yeah. he like kissed the Quran and. You know, there are some things that happen, but people like think he was the best Pope ever because he had this great yeah. connection oh, yes. to I, the kids.
1: Yeah, I rem- I remember that. The, the problem with Pachamama also is that that phrase means Mother Earth. Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean, that's what Pachamama means, Mother Earth. But you can use these titles in a literal way. Like there's some people who literally worship Mother Earth and believe the Earth is a goddess. But you can also use descriptions like this in a personifying sort of way. Like, for example, if I say that, oh, he's really, Father Time has really gotten to him. I don't think there's a literal person named Father Time who's, mm. who, who makes someone age. Father Time is just a way of describing time and aging and things get older. Mother Earth can just be a a colorful phrase to refer to the the shared environment that we have Uh, when the Bible talks about lady wisdom, it doesn't mean there's an actual lady named wisdom. You know, it's a personification of, of the spirit of God. So you're right. What is hard is, and so going back when these things come up, if you're going, this is what I would ask, I guess, of Catholics. What bothers me is you'll have Catholics who will bend over backwards to Mm -hmm. explain a Bible difficulty or explain a difficulty with a pope from early church history, like Honorius or Vigilius, and, oh, well, they weren't really heretics, so this doesn't really disprove papal infallibility. And like that's not pope-splaining, if you say Pope Honorius does not contradict papal infallibility for these, these, and these reasons. They'll bend over backwards to do that. The church didn't contradict itself at this council or that council. They'll go into overdrive mode to say, no, 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 Here, let me walk you through church history and... The Bible and slavery, yeah, that is those that passage about uh, you can own slaves in perpetuity, Leviticus twenty-five. That does sound harsh, but let me give you the social background and the context, and or in the Bible where it says, "Kill men, women, and children; leave none that breathes." There's a context here, and there's this, and there's that. You'll have Catholics who will bend over backwards, but then when it comes to like you know Pope Francis. Suddenly it's like, ah, oh, you know, we won't give the time of day. Now, obviously there's differences there. The Bible is divinely inspired and without error. A Pope can just make all, a lot of errors just in his in his own teaching. But my concern is that uh, instead of just looking at all of the evidence objectively to come at the reality of a situation, we apply different evidential standards based on a pre-existing attitude towards what we're critiquing. And that's never a mm-hmm. good idea.
0: Yes, and I think social media has magnified that because if you think about, I mean, we've only had social media for about not even thirty years, really. You know, we're coming up on maybe twenty five years, um, or maybe a little more. I don't know. But they didn't have social media back in the day like they did now. So they all the information they're getting from from these old popes are from writings and uh, old church documents and things like that. We, maybe we had popes. a little.
1: We had a little bit of social media when I was your age. Really? No, I, I'm an old I'm an old geezer. Now when I when I was your well, let's see, you're in your early twenties. Tumblr. No, we, no, no, what we had, we had a thing called Live Journal. Huh? You ever heard of Live Journal? No, it was before your time. This this was this was an amazing dramatic thing. So every live journal was it was just basically a diary that people could read publicly. It was similar. I mean, I guess it's like Twitter, but you get longer entries and huh. people would write in them. And it was just an amazing source of drama. I remember that probably at like the early 2000s. So I know obviously it was, you know, there's always been a kind of media to keep people socially engaged with one another. But you're right, like during the Pontificate of Pope St. John Paul II, the closest you would have might be a Usenet group. But you had yeah. to really know the internet to find something like that. Uh, or someone shared you a newspaper clipping at, at mass. But now it's just it's just this immediate feedback that overwhelms us.
0: And I think it can really overtake somebody's life because I think as human beings, we're drawn into the drama, you know? And if we get endless amounts of it, especially surrounding our faith, and that's why I always tell people, I'm like, the, like, how do I explain this? You are responsible for your own salvation. And so it's like if you're focusing on things that are taking you away from God, you know, not saying like, obviously, you still pray for the popes. And, or the Pope and the, the cardinals and the bishops and everything, but cut out the drama. Like, Don't pay attention to it because most of the time those headlines, people I notice today, especially in my generation, they love reading headlines, read none of the context. Totally. And people don't get that those headlines are meant to hook you, but most of the time they're a lie. They're clickbait.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's also called burying the lead that when, ah. you, that when you have L-E-D-E, uh the the salient part of an article that changes the entire context for journalistic integrity it's included but five paragraphs down uh so that a lot of people don't even get there to see oh this actually wasn't that big a deal or there's a totally different context in what's being involved so you're right i think that we get so overwhelmed we just want to click i want that headline that we want to consume information very quickly so you just do even beyond back once again back in my day Back in my day, it was hard to cheat at things. We didn't have Wikipedia to give us a plot summary. We had to, we had to buy, we had to buy cliff notes. You had to <laughs> you ever this those is, are
0: free now. This
1: is this is the fun, the fun game. Maybe you and I should just do a podcast called Do Have You Ever Heard Of
0: We and Should. I just,
1: and I just talk and I, and I'm just gonna sound like some like old timey person. Like, did you ever play Jax? <laughs> you know, and then uh, I'll
0: quiz you on like Gen Z. Um like grammar or something cr- be like cringe. what is what does frizz mean
1: <laughs> i do not know what okay let's We're try frizz that. what is oh riz? i know what frizz riz. is i know it, okay, okay wait let's try this i think i can do this Riz is similar in my day to what we would i think it's similar in my day we called that game
0: yeah basically okay. confidence game dating okay. kind of thing yeah, yeah rizzing
1: up someone so in, in my day we called that we called that a game, so I, I, I could kind of keep up with some of it, but some of it I am just still totally out of loop on. But when we would try to uh, obtain information, it was a lot slower. We had dial up internet, it was to like learn about something. You had cliff notes, cliff notes, they were yellow and black. They literally, it was a book, yellow and it was yellow and black stripes that was the summary of a book and if you could get that it just made your book reports so much easier then that became spark notes but nowadays it's just like pfft, you can you can have chat gpt write your book report in like 2 seconds so yep um, with minimal editing <laughs> the times they are changing so it's
0: true that. and not always for the better <laughs> we see that the educational system is failing kids and most kids that are like 9 to 12 can't read behavioral issues all because I mean, after COVID happened, the, the whole social media thing just overtook and parents started putting iPads in front of their kids. And oh, yeah. it's right. just crazy. But now it's like, you know, we're raising this gen or millennials and Gen Z kind of are raising this generation of iPad kids. And my generation, Gen Z, is seeing this, and they're like, "We're not giving our kids iPads, no way." And so, I think there will be for more of a push in Gen yeah. Z to have a better relationship with social media.
1: I- I'm excited. Uh, I am. Yeah. I am excited about that. So, my kids. So every generation it skips uh, who raises who. So Gen Z is being raised by Gen X right now. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I think that's how it works. Because if you think about it, the parents of millennials are baby boomers. So the generations, there's always a halfway point. So if you're a millennial, your parent is probably a baby boomer. If you're Gen Z, your parents are probably Gen Xers, which means they're probably in their 40s or early 50s, as -hmm. opposed to being like in their 60s or 70s. Um, And so they're still comparatively young. They were the Gen X uh, when I think of Gen X, I think of slackers and Beavis and Butthead and yeah. they were, they were an underappreciated generation, uh, for sure. Uh, so the, the most recent generation is called Gen Alpha. Uh, and that's anyone who was born after 2010. Those are the children of the millennials. Ah, uh. and so you're right that Gen Z. So I don't even know what the name, the one after Alpha, we haven't reached that yet because Gen Z is just starting to have kids and families. We don't, well, we don't have a name yet for that maybe Gen Bravo, which would be really unoriginal, but fine. <laughs> but I, I, I'm glad to see what Gen Z. It's like, yeah, maybe we should have flip phones. Maybe we should have dumb phones. I mean, maybe it'll be funny that in like 20 years, people won't use social media as much. And we'll look back on how people use social media now, kind of like how we looked back, how in the 1950s and 60s, Fred Flintstone would smoke cigarettes and, and do <laughs> yeah. cigarette ads. We're like, what were people thinking back then? And I hope people will do the same with with social media in like 30 years.
0: I hope so. Because the studies are coming out about, you know, the radiation from phones and like phone head where like the kids' necks are like forward more because they're always looking at their phones and depression, anxiety. I mean, it's crazy how high the numbers have gone up since social media yeah. has been introduced. I mean, it's 100% increases. Um yeah. And so it's very interesting to see how that's kind of affected our brains too, because it's social media, but in reality, it's, you know, isolation media. And it's hard to see the person behind the phone, which is why I think it's so hard to be charitable online and to be, you know, good Catholics and Christians online is because it's, you know, you, somebody attacks your faith, they attack you personally, you want to just like lay into them. And i really think part of it's diabolical, yeah. um, especially some things that people say here. But I, I guess just kind of like wrapping up here, we definitely have to have you back on sometime, but wrapping up here, sure. what what would you say to the content creators, those uh, people who have a large following of Catholics, what would you say or what kind of warnings would you give them to keep them from, you know, falling into these these scandalous issues?
1: I would say make sure to have disinterested parties that can hold you accountable. What's very difficult is you have individuals, they start a channel. I love working at Catholic Answers. So I'm not a solo operation. I answer to, I have a boss and there's a board of directors and there's a staff of 40 people and I talk with them, but I I have accountability. And I love Mm -hmm. that because it keeps me from going off the rails. I don't think I'm anywhere near going off the rails yet, but it's nice to know there are people who can do that. But if you're just on your own, and you don't have other people I can tell you, hey, maybe this isn't a great idea. But I have other content creators who are on their own, so to speak, who call me and ask for advice, like, is this a good idea? And mm-hmm. I'm always happy to help them with that. So I really do feel like my advice for creators would be, make sure you have a good, well, number one, I guess your support network. So the, the core of your support network is going to be your relationship with God, frequenting the sacraments, not being in a state of mortal sin, having a continual prayer life, I have seen apostolates where the leaders abandoned public prayer, and those apostolates just fell apart. That's the core your relationship with God. Beyond that, do you have trusted people in your life to hold you accountable and make sure that you're edifying people? Like, mm-hmm. are you creating content that? Write down a mission statement. Like, what is the mission of your uh, platform? What is the mission of what the content you create? What is its mission? And then ask if I go and create something, is it to further that mission? Or is it just going to get me a lot of attention? And if it's just going to get me a lot of attention, be really, really, really wary of something like that and have others to make sure that you're not just slipping into, I'm giving content that gets, that gets me a lot of engagement, but I am walking the balance of creating really good content that is engaged a lot, that fulfills my mission, which should be to build up the Christ church and to build up the kingdom of God.
0: Mm, That's so impactful. I think everyone can learn from that. I myself can learn from that as well. I think it's so difficult out there today, but I really appreciate you coming on here, Trent, and talking to us about this. I think it's such an important topic and I hope people learned a lot from it.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Absolutely. And really quick, where can my listeners find you one more time?
1: They can find me at the Council of Trent podcast. Uh, That's available on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Just search Council of Trent, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Uh, so they can go and become a subscriber there. Uh, They can also support us at trenthornpodcast.com.
0: Wonderful. And with all of that being said, guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and I'll talk to you guys in the next one. Bye guys.